Remember, you can get in touch with our fearsome foursome by emailing clubdubpodcast at mail.com and through Twitter using the hashtag at clubdubpodcast. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hi everyone, I'm Rob Rose, and welcome to another episode of the Club Dub Football Podcast. As we were off for a week last week, we've come back with a monster-length pod for you all. So with a show that long, I'm going to keep this intro short and hand over to JB, PB and Aldrin to get talking football. Hi, gents. Hello. So we're back together after a um, fortnight, this time last week, with power cuts and other problems. I was plunged into darkness, so apologies. But it was a dark week, obviously, without your company, boys. So glad to be back talking NFL. And this week, our troublesome topic is which teams, players, or just general NFL staff are finding themselves in a particularly precarious win-now position. So in a week where NFL.com tells us that Patrick Mahomes is in danger of missing out on a Super Bowl window, we avoid that kind of nonsense and talk about the people we think are truly on the hot seat. So I know that we've got four topics to get into from each of us as the show progresses, but Phil, all of that is going to have to come after Quiz of the Week. Welcome to Phil's Quiz of the Week. I've got an excellent one for you this week, having missed out on last week, so... Um, I'm not in keeping with the theme this week. We're going to play a little game of NFL Who Am I? So I've tried not to make it too easy, but I've basically got five players and five clues for each player, roughly along the same lines. So you'll get the idea as we go through. But let's say for if the answer was Tom Brady, I'd say, FYI, none of the answers are Tom Brady. Uh, I would say he went to the University of Michigan. He was drafted in the sixth round he has won seven super bowls you know you you get the point so if everybody's ready i'll read all the clues i think i'll read okay i was gonna say at what point do we answer so you're gonna read all the clues i reckon so it gives the listeners at home a little bit of an extra chance isn't it so everybody gets a pen and paper you can score yourselves out of five or you know aldrin technical whiz you can use a word document or something like that so player number one I was born in Garden Grove, California, in 1981. I played college football for the University of Southern California. I was drafted in the first round in the 2003 NFL draft and was originally a plan B but my team's agreement with reigning Super Bowl MVP Dexter Jackson fell through. I'm a two-time Super Bowl champion and I was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my first year of eligibility. So born in Garden Grove, California, 1981. 
played college football for the University of Southern California, drafted first round in the 2003 NFL draft and was a plan B after my team's agreement to sign Dexter Jackson fell through. I'm a two-time Super Bowl champion and I was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my first year of eligibility. So how, how does this work? Do we, do we all write, write that answers? one down? I mean, oh, oh, are, we, are we not answering? We'll answer at the end. It gives listeners a little bit of time to think, doesn't it? You've got to think of the format. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I was thinking Robert B. Yeah. Hand off for this one. Yeah, I've, I've, well, I've, well, now you say me. Okay, I've got an answer. Yeah. But okay, yeah, carry on, Phil. Sorry. Carry, carry on. on. Ready for number two? Number two. I was just about to read the name of the person. Let's not do that. Uh, number two. I was born in Alexander City, Alabama in 1973. I played college football for Chattanooga. I was drafted in the third round of the 1996 NFL draft. I dropped to the third round due to my college team not having a winning season when I was there. I never won a Super Bowl, despite being arguably one of the greatest at my position. And the last clue, I was inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my third year of eligibility, but I'm the only inductee ever to skip my induction and hold my own induction ceremony. So born in Alexander City, Alabama, 1973, played college football for Chattanooga, drafted in the third round of the 96 NFL draft. My college team didn't have a winning season while I was there, so I dropped. Never won a Super Bowl, despite being arguably one of the best at my position. And I was inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my third year of eligibility, being the only inductee ever to skip my induction and hold my own ceremony. Number three, I was born in Roanoke, Virginia in 1975. Fun fact, he was born on April the 7th, sharing my birthday. So get your birthday cards in ready for April 7th next year. I played college football for the University of Virginia, so stayed home. I was selected in the second round of the 1997 NFL draft. Originally, I was seen as a third down change of pace back but ended up retiring as the all-time leader in rushing yards for my team. I retired in 2007, having never won a Super Bowl, and attempted to come back four years later, but no team was interested in signing me. So born in Roanoke, Virginia, 1975, played college football for the University of Virginia, Selected in the second round of the 1997 NFL Draft. Originally seen as a third down change of pace back, I ended up retiring as the all-time leader in rushing yards for my team. Retired in 2007, having never won a Super Bowl, but attempted a comeback, unsuccessful comeback four years later. Ready for number four? We've got three thumbs up. Here we go. I was born in San Francisco, California in 1973. I played college football for the University of Arizona Wildcats. I was selected in the third round of the 1996 NFL draft and was moved position from defensive end. So originally listed as a defensive end, I was moved by my drafted team. 
I'm a three-time Super Bowl champion. And I retired in 2009 with speculation that I retired before being released by my coach. But I was voted to enter my team's Hall of Fame four years after my retirement. Tricky one, this. Born in San Francisco, California in 73. Played college football for the University of Arizona Wildcats. Selected in the third round of the 1996 NFL draft and was moved position from defensive end. A three-time Super Bowl champion. Retired in 2009. With speculation, I retired before being released by my coach. And I was voted to my team's Hall of Fame four years after my retirement. Ready for the last one? Let's go for it. So, I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1982. I played college football at Clemson. Clemson Tigers there. I was drafted in the third round of the 2006 NFL Draft. I did not get my first start until I was traded to my second team. And I only appeared in 25 games in my career, only starting nine of them across five teams. So born in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1982, played college football at Clemson, was drafted in the third round of the 2006 NFL draft. I did not get my first start until I was traded to my second team. And I only appeared in 25 games in my career only starting nine of them across five teams. Do you need any again? No, I think so. I'll fill this thinking time for our list. Draft, draft year for the last one? Draft year for the last one, 2006, third round. Oh. So I, I feel like I started well, got, I've got nothing for four and I've got wild guesses for five. So I, I, I think I have a shocker. I am absolutely positive. I've got the first one, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. I have guesses for three and four, but I've got nothing for two and five. Oh, okay. Two, I thought was all right. Yeah. Two is yeah, two. Two. Oh, two was is like, easy. Oh, okay. I'll call this him. Right. So how does this work, Phil? Go on. We're back with you. So number one, here we go. Born in Garden Grove, California in 1981. College football for the University of Southern California. Drafted in the first round in 2003 because my team signing Dexter Jackson fell through. Two-time Super Bowl champ. Elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my first year of eligibility. Who so, am I? Should I we all think, answer together? Well, I, I, on okay. three. Right. On three, go on then. One, two, three. Troy, Troy Palomaro. I went Carson Palmer. Oh, I think Troy Polamalu. It's Troy Polamalu, I thought it as well. Troy Polamalu. Ah. They, they were they were the same university, though, right? Same draft year, I think. Two thousand, well. yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, there you go. Never mind. One point each, except for you, Aldrin. Never mind. Number two, born in Alexander City, Alabama, in seventy-three. College football for Chattanooga, third round in nineteen ninety-six. Never won a Super Bowl, despite arguably being one of the greatest at my position. Inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my third year of eligibility, the only inductee ever to skip his induction and hold his own induction ceremony. T.O. T.O. Terrell Owens. 
Terrell Owens. So I wrote that yeah. down and then crossed it out. Oh, you do okay. this every time on the only, quiz. Only yeah. player yeah. to have their own induction ceremony. But yeah. I was, I was, nothing else. I, that was it. As soon as that was the clue, I was like, well, that's got to be T.O. But then I was thinking, well, no, no, because I'm sure I've seen clips of him doing a speech at the Pro Football Hall of... Uh, Who did you put? Nothing. I didn't have anything. I crossed out T.O. And, and couldn't think of anyone else to put in. Terrell Owens, that's right. That's my quarterback. Well, having seen Rob wave his piece of paper at the screen, I know that me and him have got the next answer the same. Oh, yeah. Did I show the answer to three? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Born in Roanoke, Virginia in 75, played college football for the University of Virginia, selected in the second round of the 97 draft, seen as a third down change of pace back, but ended up retiring as the all-time leader in rushing yards uh, for that team. Retired in 2007, having never won a Super Bowl and attempted an unsuccessful comeback four years later. Who am I? So, JB, as you didn't see Rob's, I don't think. No. I said that you are Tiki Barber. Ding, ding, ding. That's what I've got written down. I had, if you were stuck, I had a bonus sixth clue, which was I have a twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> you are correct. It's Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber. So, so, so four, I have nothing. Does anyone have something? I have. I, I do. I've yeah, got okay. really. I've got a guess. I've okay. got a guess as well. So Rob's three for three, and Aldrin and JB, you've got two each, right? Yep. Here we go. This could be the leveler then. It could all come down to the last question. So, I was born in San Francisco, California, in '73. I played college football for the University of Arizona Wildcats, selected in the third round of the '96 NFL Draft, and was moved position from defensive end a three-time Super Bowl champion, retired in 2009, speculation that I was going to be released in my team's Hall of Fame four years after my retirement. Who am I? I said that the New England Patriots selected Teddy Bruschi. I also said that the New England Patriots selected Teddy Bruschi. So so hopefully you saw me mouth that that would have been my best guess, but I was properly swinging, so I I don't get a point here. That, That would have been wild. Teddy Bruce himself is correct. So you're all you're all on three going into the oh. final round. Just trying to think of who in that drafted period would have won and, three Super Bowls. Super Bowls. Yeah. yeah, and it was thinking it has to be a Patriot. And Bruce was the only one that I could think of that would have changed positions. I'd, I'd done what you'd done, JB. I'd done the whole I'd, he was the best answer I'd got, but I'd convinced myself he didn't play that long. Mm. I'd convinced myself I was like asking Ooh. his ter- career to be five years longer than it probably was. So I was going to um, say about having some sort of shoulder roll pads, but we didn't need to get there. So we're all right. <clears throat> right. Final round, all on three points. All comes down to the decider. I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1982. I played college football at Clemson, drafted in the third round of the 2006 NFL draft. Didn't get my first start until I was traded to my second team. I only appeared in 25 games in my career, only starting nine of them across five teams. Who am I? I think I've just realised who it is. Yeah, well... Is it, only... is it Clipboard Jesus? Well, that's what I've got. Let me hold up my paper. I have got... Clipboard, clipboard Jesus. Jesus. Oh, yeah. I think it is, JB. Did you get I, a guess? I didn't have anything. It's got to be. Who else is relevant? Who only this, ever this is, I was trying. That's the thing. I was trying to go with with quarterbacks and everything like that, and just completely yeah. spaced on him. If they, if that's right. I had a sixth bonus clue. If you're interested, go for it. I'm well known. Name's Clipboard Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's Clipboard Jesus himself. That's right, Charlie Whitehurst. Amazing. 
that just popped into my head then when you went through those things again i was like it's gotta be the problem what i get i i knew was it that san diego going... charges yeah it was charges wasn't charge charges he was at for the for the majority of of the time that we watched him but i think he played for the titans as well he played for yeah them. titans browns and then us Right, all yeah, right. Yeah, I can give you the full list if you want. He was Go drafted by the Chargers, uh, was there for four years, traded to the Seahawks where he started his first game, played there for... T- well, he didn't start his first game, but he started his first ever NFL game at the Seahawks. Uh, he was there for two years, back to the Chargers oh, yeah. for two years, Tennessee for two years, Colts for, for the second half of that Tennessee year, and then he retired as a Cleveland Brown, having played one game. Forgot about the Seahawks. Good one. There you go. Well, very, very good, Phil. Aldrin four, Rob four, JB three. How did you do at home? Let us know. I still Get think that's up. strong. Four, four, and three. Dub email, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, congratulations. We're everywhere now. We're, we're everywhere. We're just omnipresent. Wherever yeah. you may be, you will find us. Thanks for listening. That was few squeeze of the week. It's a good work. Good work, PB. Um, I like that change in format, that little change of pace. It's amazing what a week off can do for your creative juices um, and your time available to Google. Um, but I think that was a very solid effort. Thrilled to bits with that. So um, I'm going to take a bit of time off because if I'm going to say who is in a win now situation, Tradition of this podcast dictates that I mute my microphone and hand over to you, Aldrin, to kick us off with your pick for this week's topic. So when I was looking at this, do you know what? I There were so many that I felt I could actually pick on. Not just teams, but like certain individuals and certain coaches. And I am denied between a couple in the same division, and I ended up plumping for... The Dallas Cowboys, but more particularly Mike McCarthy as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I think he is properly on the hot seat this year and they need to show a really marked improvement for him to keep his job. Now, you can't say that last year was entirely his fault, right? You know, they had a really tough situation with that Prescott going down. When you lose your franchise quarterback and, and then your backup quarterback for, you know, a couple of games, you're always in a tough spot in terms of, you know, being able to put a winning season on the, on the docket. But I do feel that when he came in, there was all that kind of furore, wasn't there? When he came in and he'd kind of said that oh, I'd been watching all of their tape and he'd done loads of analytics and he was learning about the team and stuff. And then when he actually got the job, he was like, Oh yeah, that was a lie. I never really did all of that. Um, but, I just think some of the decisions that he made weren't the best. I think he brought in, um, what's his face? The defensive coordinator, uh, Mike Nolan. And that really didn't work out. Like that was a, a really terrible defensive unit with, you know, there's some good players on that defense, but they just did not perform well. um, And it just didn't work. So I know that, Jerry Jones is generally pretty lenient with coaches. I mean, you had um, Jason Garrett there for way longer than he should have been, 
really if you know any of us were making those decisions but I do feel like McCarthy really needs to show that this team can win now and win really well I think you know that division's kind of caught up with them it feels like a little bit you've seen the Giants make some really big strides in the offseason with the players that they brought in you've got Washington on the up and I do think one of the biggest risks to McCarthy is another coordinator in that building which is Kellen Moore um mainly because kind of towards the end of last season you know he was getting a lot of buzz the Boise State job came became available and he was really really heavily linked with um the head coaching gig there having been a um a Boise State alum but they the Cowboys gave him a really big I think it was like a three or a five year deal to kind of keep him in keep him in the building as offensive coordinator um and I think that says a lot about how much admiration and respect they have for him and what they think he can be you know players have talked really strongly about his potential to be a head coach in the future he kind of seems to fit that mold of a you know what we've seen a lot in the league recently around those younger up and coming coordinators being given a shot at the you know the the head coaching gig and you see that quite a lot those 30 year olds in and around that region coordinators that make a leap from offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator suddenly to head coach in the blink of an eye um so i do think that he represents a real risk to him because they they've kind of got a ready-made up-and-comer within the organization that they they clearly value quite highly and want to succeed. So I don't know. I just feel like I never, I was never convinced that McCarthy was the right choice for the Cowboys. And he's really done nothing in my eyes to suggest that I was wrong. You know, I don't think he's come in and taken the the team by storm. They don't seem to have this great bond and um, leadership that stems from him. And I think for a, a head coach that hasn't coached his team to the playoffs since I think it was 2016 with the Green Bay Packers is the last time that they actually got to the playoffs. I think that says a lot. And I think we all know what Jerry thinks about failure and disappointment. He doesn't take it well. So I I do really feel like they have to have a really strong comeback year. They've gone all in again on Dak, given him a big deal. So they've kind of got that franchise quarterback lockdown but I don't think this is a season that Jerry will hang around if things don't look to be going their way and my concern is that they will go badly quickly I think you're right in a like I agree with a couple of the big call outs that you've made there I think Mike McCarthy has to obviously be on the hot seat because I think all of us on this podcast and I think the vast majority of especially Cowboys fans, but NFL fans in general saw that hire and kind of thought, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This was a guy who, while not being run out of town in Green Bay, definitely kind of finished with a whimper and kind of limped out after the success that he'd had before. And I think it opened the questions of, okay, how much of the Green Bay Packers' success was Mike McCarthy and how much of it was um, generational quarterback talent Aaron Rodgers. 
mm, probably more of one than the other there. When you think about the Cowboys and specifically you think about the Jerry Jones Cowboys, you think about Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson. Those late, late 80s, early 90s years where Johnson came in and rebuilt the Dallas Cowboys from what, for better or worse, legendary coach Tom Landry had kind of had to turn them into, into Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, uh, the, you know, the triplets, all of that, the no name defense, everything. And Jerry Jones ran Jimmy Johnson out of town because ultimately everyone was kind of commenting, well, you know, Jimmy Johnson's really good. And I think Jerry Jones, again, rightly or wrongly, looked at that and thought, it's not just him. I kind of had a bit to do with that. Maybe I should get some credit as well. And that's what they've been searching for ever since. You look at that current roster now, Dak Prescott, I think, is somehow still an incredibly underrated quarterback. I think a lot of teams would be really, really lucky to have him. You've got Ezekiel Elliott, who on his day is still an absolutely fantastic one, but maybe hasn't shown that recently. You've got receivers like Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb. They're all fantastic. You've still got great pieces on the offensive line. Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, kind of to name a few. But they haven't got that overall quality. They've got incredible linebackers. I think Micah Parsons was absolutely the steal of the draft for the Cowboys to get him where they got him. Leighton Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, they're all incredibly good. But there's not really that much in front of them on the line, and there's not really that much behind them. They've got a solid middle bit there, but as we saw last year, that's that's not what the Cowboys needed. The Cowboys needed some some rush up front, and they haven't really gone out and got it. And they've got a head coach that, doesn't want to take chances the head coach that maybe should have actually put in a bit of time into that analytic stuff maybe should have learned his lessons from green bay and i think the biggest problem that they've got is their backup quarterbacks uh ben danucci garrett gilbert and cooper rush currently so uh ben danucci played three games in 2020 and started one of them and went oh and one for that one he started uh, Garrett Gilbert has played one game for the Panthers in 2018, uh, five games for the Browns in 2019, and he started once for the Cowboys last year, which I think they also lost. And Cooper Rush played two games for the Cowboys in 2017. There is, it's not even like there's no depth behind him. That is negative depth behind him if Prescott goes down again or more importantly if Prescott isn't ready to go at the start of this season what have they got and you have seen time and time and time again if you don't get off to a good start it is nigh on impossible to recover from that for for me there's I don't know there's two sides to this coin though and I mean probably more so with the Cowboys than than anybody because we have talked on previous podcasts about that division and anybody could win it. But if we imagine the season ahead, and I've got to remember, we're now talking, what, 17-game season, aren't we, with the way it's going to be formulated. If you said to me one of the four teams in that division go 14-3, and go, I don't know, 12-5, and in my mind, that could only be the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys have by far the highest ceiling because they've got superstar quality and... Actually, you touched on it, JB. There are many faults you could probably, um, you know, label Jerry Jones with. 
but he pays his superstars, you know, the Ezekiel Elliott's now the Dak Prescott's. I mean, there was that, that awkwardness where he was obviously on a, on a kind of uh, a, a bridge kind of that one year, which was high risk for everybody. Um, you've just said it there, you know, they have absolutely game changing talents at wide receiver. They have three of them. I mean, three absolutely brilliant wide receivers. So if that gels and goes well, then it could be, you know, the Cowboys back in serious Super Bowl contention. The problem is, is the the evidence that you could make for the argument that they could perform was after Nolan's ideas, had, had, you know, moving on from Nolan as, as DC and, and becoming a little more solid down the stretch probably speaks to, you know, the opportunity that there are some, you know, of those lesser players that could still perform at enough of a level to keep them competitive. Um, and the fact that Dak Prescott and that offense, if they do fire, have, have you know, a remarkable ceiling. But remember, you know, we're talking about the, the lost season last year because of Prescott's injury. I seem to remember, although I, I, I'm not referencing this, weren't they one and three when Prescott went down? And that one was, was that crazy Falcons game or so. I mean, one of those wins was the spinning Falcons onside kick, I seem to remember, that, that they two had and, no right. Two and two they were. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the argument you make the other way is even with Prescott healthy, when they were putting up all those points in a game, they, they still weren't finding many ways to win. You know, they're relying on the absurd as much as as much as their performance levels. So on the one hand, you go, you could argue looking on paper, they're Super Bowl contenders. And on the other hand, you could also argue that Mike McCarthy is probably the most likely coach to be out of a job by week five if things don't go well. You know, that they are so much of that that two-sided coin. Um, but I think it makes them fascinating. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd rather have this Cowboys than a, than a dull Cowboys. You know, Jerry always brings a certain amount of interest, doesn't he? Whatever's going on, their function or their dysfunction always seems to be worth watching. Um, but I, I just think there's too much talent on that team, isn't there? I think your point about depth behind Dak is fair, but but then how many teams really do have a, a great backup quarterback who could who could lead a team if if the worst happens? I, I think ultimately, if Dak was to go down, they could pick up somebody. You know, uh, I mean Nick Foles. I mean he's what third on the depth chart in Chicago. You, you just kind of look and think there would be certain solutions, but um, yeah, I mean for me, it is literally a coin flip, fifty fifty, as to whether they are. Um, powerhouse playoff contenders or just rebuilding again with a new coaching staff in 12 months? I think I kind of agree with Rob really um, but I also think that I wonder if there's a little bit of leeway with Prescott coming off such a serious injury you know how much is I think I say this every single podcast I think especially when we talk about a team from this division but it's the weakest division in the NFL so it's almost the you know for someone coming back from a serious injury and, and needing time to get up to speed potentially you know you, you you couldn't be in a better division because you're going to be there or thereabouts probably anyway. Um, are they, do they desperately need to be win now? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think he'll he'll get a little bit of leeway with the injury, but yeah, I think it's you know he's he's obviously come in off the back of his Green Bay reputation, having done all of this work, you know, while he was out of work and putting this coaching strategy together, that if it doesn't work over the first two seasons, then it, it definitely puts him on the hot seat if he's not already. Um, 
but I don't I don't know would they fire him at the end of this season it, I guess it depends how bad the season is if they're on the bubble and just about miss it and it takes a little while for Prescott to to get up to speed I reckon there could be a little bit of leeway but you know if they have a horrendous season with only two or three wins then yeah I, I think you're right so I guess it comes down to how bad the season could be I think my my big last point I guess is that if you're the owner of the Dallas Cowboys or in any way in and around it, if you go two years without making the playoffs with a coach that will then have gone five years without making the playoffs, do you think that that sixth year or that third year in Dallas is going to be markedly better? I, I just think, I think there's a short leash there. Like you say, Phil, that's a weak division. And like Rob said, the Dallas Cowboys are the team that you would be picking to you know, maybe go 12 and five or 13 and four or something like that. So if they don't do that, everything beyond that's a failure in my mind. I, I think the other, the, I agree with that. And I think the other thing to consider when we're looking at what kind of team the Cowboys want to be is that kind of point Aldrin made around um, the, the offensive coordinator. And that kind of what team, what philosophy are the Cowboys going for? You look at what happened with the Rams when they moved on from Jeff Fisher, who wasn't a, like he wasn't a terrible coach. It wasn't a disaster fire. It was just a consistent seven and nine. It was that consistent performance time and time again. And the Rams decided we need to do something different. So what did they do? They went and got Sean McVay and have immediately become one of the best teams in the, in the NFL. You look at the impact Doug Pedersen had in Philadelphia. Let's not look at how it ended. Let's look at the successful years. You look at Andy Reid in um, Kansas City. These are innovative minds pushing the team with a philosophy and what it kind of feels a little bit like is every other team in the nfl is entering uh, an f1 race with 2021 season cars and the cowboys are rocking up with something that sterling moss would have considered cutting edge when he was racing it is a completely different setup to everyone else it is that old school philosophy and maybe it's time that the Cowboys updated that a little bit. Quick point from me, though. If if teams believed there was another Sean McVay out there, there'd be a lot of teams who let their head coaches go at the end of last season. You know, it, it, to, to imagine there's a... I mean, the Kellen Moore thing, I mean, even that's been hot and cold. You know, I, I you know, Aldrin's point is, is a solid point about how well he's respected and thought of in that building. But I mean, th there were times when they were really off, you know, and and really disjointed on both sides of the ball. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could see that being problematic for all concerned. You know, a bad season next season, and I don't think Keller Moore quite comes out of that. Um, he's not quite the Teflon coordinator that he maybe was last year with with the injury to your quarterback. You know, I, I think his reputation takes a hit with a bad year too. So, Aldrin, the Cowboys seemed to spark a bit of debate, and I think they are uh, above a solid pick to be win now. I think they are absolutely um, the epitome of a team and a coach who have win now type problems um, or challenges. Let's let's focus on the positive for our, our dear Dallas Cowboys. So, JB, who are you going to pick? Which team or individual do you think is win now, and why, sir? So, in 
a point that I am sure everyone on the podcast is going to love and every one of our listeners is going to love. I am going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. And originally it was just going to focus on Lamar Jackson, but I don't think that would be a fair thing to make because I think these questions apply to the entire team, not just the players, but the coaching staff as well. And brace yourselves, everybody, because I'm going to monologue for just a little bit because there are important things to consider before we get to the question. We have seen scrambling quarterbacks, running quarterbacks, uh, have tremendous success in the league. And this is from guys like Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham to your Michael Vicks, to your Cam Newtons, to your Colin Kaepernicks. All of them came in and played the game in a different way and performed in a way that we hadn't seen before. Hyperbole aside, we have never seen a quarterback like Lamar Jackson come into the league. Setting all of those those ones before him aside, there has never been one of them like Lamar Jackson. What he can do, how he sees the field, what he's like with his when he's got the ball in hand and he's in space is incredible. And there is absolutely no denying that by any stretch of the imagination at all. It's irrefutable. Past two regular seasons. Lamar Jackson has rushed for over a thousand yards. It was 1,206 in 2019 and 1,005 in 2020. Just putting that in comparison with another team. The last time the Detroit Lions had a 1,000 yard rusher was Reggie Bush in 2013. And the time before that was, I think, Kevin Jones in 2004. That is nearly 10 years difference in Sorry, that is nearly 10 years between 1,000-yard rushes, and Lamar Jackson is able to do that in two seasons. There is no team that runs the ball like the Baltimore Ravens. They absolutely grind you down. And maybe with the exception of a team like the Titans and Derrick Henry, there's probably nobody that you need to fear on the ground more. All of those are true. The question then comes for, what are the Ravens set up to do? How are the Ravens going to succeed? Because for as much as you can talk about a scrambling quarterback or a rushing quarterback or a running quarterback, ultimately they are puzzle quarterbacks because you have to solve them. How do you stop them? It was what John Gruden did with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they stopped Michael Vick and the Atlanta Falcons. It's what teams did with Colin Kaepernick. You worked out that Kaepernick's only got a very limited playbook. There are only a certain number of things that he can confidently do. And once you start to take those away, you make him an ineffective presence. You take away the threat of him. Teams have managed to slow or stop Jackson, but nobody has solved him completely yet. The question is, is that coming? Do the Baltimore Ravens, as a team, as an organization, are they helping Lamar Jackson by evolving him? At kind of the the post-season press conferences last year, John Harbour and a lot of the personnel with the Ravens were coming out and saying, we don't need to change what we're doing because what we're doing is successful. What we're doing wins games. And that is absolutely true. In the regular season, they have like an impeccable record. They are one of the most successful teams of the most recent years. But you get to the playoffs and all of a sudden that change. 2008, 0-1. 2009, 0-1. 2020, Lamar Jackson won a game. And they beat the Titans and it was the first game Jackson won being two scores down. 
it was incredible. It was a great statistic. And you could see the effect it had on the Ravens players after the game. And then what happened? They went to Orchard Park, New York and scored three points. And that was the lowest points uh, points scored by the Ravens in a John Harbaugh game since he was the head coach in 2008. So my question to wrap this up to everybody is maybe less of a do the Ravens need to win now to be successful and maybe more of a do the Ravens need to go all the way to show that they are a team that can evolve and a team that can make the best of what they have. So for me, I don't see them as win now necessarily, but I'm not necessarily going to say that Lamar is the reason for that. So I take John Harbaugh, right? I think they've got one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think if I was to, you know, do my top three, I think he'd be in it. If I was to be asked for my top five, I think he'd definitely be in it. Um, And if you look at the Baltimore Ravens historically, minus their first three seasons, so I think some four-win seasons, six-win seasons, that is actually a franchise that has shown remarkable consistency over the years, you know, have been relevant through numerous iterations. I've obviously got some Super Bowl wins over the years. And one of the things for me about the Ravens is they don't overreach. You know, you you look at the big splash kind of free agency signings that that for me are so often the sign of a of a team in in a kind of desperate struggle to maximize a Super Bowl window or a or a you know a, a team that overreaches and causes itself further you know further problems down the line. The Ravens don't feel like that franchise. You know, I mean, I'd look at, I mean, some of their pickups over the, the offseason. I don't think will improve them as a team, necessarily the Watkins of this world that I, I you know, I, I think are nothing more really at that point in their career than bit part players. But I think they're coached well. I think the thing is that the Baltimore Ravens will, you know, absolutely be a playoff team or certainly a relevant team going right towards the end of the regular season, you know, in the mix, I suppose, as it were. And I think that does for the Ravens, you know, and every now and again, every five or six years, you know, these teams get hot, they have a good playoff run and they've got as good a chance as anybody. But I don't think they feel too win now. Uh, I think they feel systematic. I think they feel, if anything, a bit a bit safe. I think you're right. I think, you know, what we saw early with Lamar Jackson was, um, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a unicorn, you know, a player that we've just never seen before. Michael Vick is probably the only one in my mind that had really come close to him. Um, but actually, I think there's there's a lot to be said for their approach. Um, and some of that hesitancy that you're describing, I think, is more about the fact that if you look at those, and we've already said there isn't really another Lamar Jackson, but if you take the cautionary tales from the likes of Robert Griffin III and others, you know, one of the things you can do is if you don't try and create some greater form of balance, you can burn out those talents. You know, they're they're prone to injury and so on. I just think what we're seeing is is the Ravens being cautious, the Ravens being systematic and maybe dull. Um, but no, I, I think they'll be in the mix now. I think they'll be in the mix next season. I think they'll be in the mix the season after that. And to compare it to your point about the Cowboys, JB, you know, I trust John Harbour enough, a bit like I would Sean Payton, for example, that if you were to be without Lamar Jackson, they're putting out a team that would be competitive on a Sunday. You know, they're putting out a team that would still give anyone a game. So I, I think they're, 
if anything, probably a little bit safe. If anything, probably not pushing as much as maybe their fan base or or even commentators would want them to. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're missing out on a win now opportunity. I think I would personally say that the the Ravens are win now, arguably for Lamar Jackson, but also for Jim Harbour. I think before Lamar Jackson came along, have I got the wrong Harbour there? Hang on, John. No, you good, John Harbour. John, oh yeah, I said Jim, so I did get the wrong Harbour. My apologies. Uh, yeah, I, I think before Lamar Jackson came along, John Harbour was, you know, there were rumours that he might be losing his job at the end of the season. You know, he was certainly on the hot seat. And then Lamar Jackson caught fire. You know, he gave him the chance and, and they've looked like solid, you know, at least to go into the playoffs and arguably were solid contenders the year before, you know, with Lamar Jackson winning the MVP. So th- they're not too far removed from, from him potentially being in danger. And I think if you, you know, if, if you, if they don't capitalise on, on that strong play from Jackson this year and, and the roster that they've got, then I, they are a win now team. I also think you've got to look at the type of quarterback that Lamar Jackson is. And, you know, if you think back to recent memory, you've got Colin Kaepernick and you've got, uh, you know, arguably you've got Robin Griff- Robert Griffin III as well who are almost a similar type of quarterback who, who, you know, their strength is almost as much in the run game as it is passing. And I think the longevity of that quarterback isn't massive. You know, Lamar Jackson, obviously, I would say outstrips their performance. So, you know, you could arguably say that that he may go on longer because he's got so much more of a unique skill set. But, you know, it's, it's not without, it's not outside the realm of, of imagination that he could be out of the league in, in you know three to four years because his body just wears down you know the, the amount of running he does and, and the amount of opportunity there is to get hit so I certainly think they need to capitalize on it whilst he's in this kind of prime of his career I you know I'd almost say so yeah I'd agree I think the Ravens are, are going to be win now so I'm gonna sit somewhere on the fence kind of in the middle so to your point JB I would disagree that a team that has made the playoffs consecutively for the last three years, like you pointed out, is desperately win now because I think they're already winning. They're already doing well. So I think the fact that you get to the playoffs is already an achievement in itself. And yeah, you want to go further, but ultimately there's only a very small number of teams that get to go on and win the Super Bowl. You know, that's a bit, that's a really tall order. To Phil's point, I do agree, though, and I agree with you. I think with Lamar Jackson, you have a window, right? With that type of quarterback, you have a window where the hits and the strategy wears down. So either the player gets injured and they keep getting injured and it's a downward spiral, or somebody figures you out because you're a predominantly run team and teams that stack the box well and take that away from you can do a number on you. And we've seen that. Now, I think the thing is, is Lamar Jackson is that unicorn, you know, like Rob said, the guy, if you think on, on Phil's point around Kaepernick, I mean, that guy got them to a Super Bowl. They were one play away from winning a Super Bowl, you know, but then after that, there was a pretty rapid decline and it was because teams worked him out and that athleticism was countered with better play calling against him. Now, I don't think there's a lot of teams that can scheme against Lamar Jackson very well because 
the guy is probably one of the best athletes I think we've ever seen on the football field. Like how you stop that guy, I do not know. You know, Cam was a revelation when he came to the league because he was big and he was powerful and he was, you know, a what a six four, six five bulldozer almost in the Derek Henry mold, but could throw the ball. I don't think Lamar Jackson has that talent with throwing, but certainly his athleticism puts him above and beyond. Um I guess to come to the end of my rambling point, really, I don't think they're winning now purely because I think they're already winning. And like Rob says, while they might be a bit conservative and maybe not as splash as you would like going deep into the playoffs, I think they're already there. And I think there's signs over the last couple of seasons that they're going to go into the playoffs and they, they're getting more like a team that is going to overcome those hurdles. You know, last year, like we said, Lamar Jackson won a playoff game. And he brought them back from a comeback and they looked really good. And then they just got found out. So I think there's progression there. I think like Rob said, they build a good team. So whoever they put out there is going to perform to the best of their abilities and likely drive them towards success. So I think they're already on the right track, but I don't disagree that they do have a window in which they need to capitalize on Lamar before they go back to what is ultimately going to be a conventional quarterback and a strong run game because when Lamar leaves that's probably what's going to take over so while they've got this unicorn I think they've got to ride it and get towards the Super Bowl but ultimately I think if you're asking a team to be in win now mode to win it all I think that's a tall order for 30 plus teams you know there's there's only one that comes out with the ring at the end of the day so that's always going to be a stretch but yeah, I'm kind of in the middle, I guess. I think yeah. the the only maybe last point I think I'll make, and this is something that I kind of started to think about when I think Phil talked about the long, like uh, Jackson's longevity, and you just being kind of one hit or one injury away from from bad things happening. It's something that at least Rob and I have talked about when we've been watching uh, NFL Red Zone every week during the season. Um, about Josh Allen previously. He was running with such disregard for his body. He was throwing himself forward when he needed to be sliding. And we just comment on the fact that he's going to wear himself down. And then what happened last season, all of a sudden, Josh Allen over the offseason had completely redone his mechanics and all of a sudden was chucking the ball around in a way that absolutely nobody had seen coming. I think for me, if I wanted the Ravens to be successful. And I, I, deep down, I think every fan wants every team to be successful. You want fans to have a good time. It comes down to, I would love to see Lamar Jackson make that same kind of leap that Josh Allen did. I, it would be so fascinating to see Jackson come out in the first game of the season, absolutely chucking it around, like throwing darts like Peyton Manning in his prime. The concern that I've got, and I think kind of like I hinted in my bit, is the Ravens don't appear to think they need to do that. The Ravens seem to think, no, no, we're good as we are as this grind out running team. And yeah, I think you do kind of have the risk of, well, that's a short window. And every time he takes steps past the line of scrimmage, you're running the risk of it being a really short window. Uh, I just I think I I think I just like the Ravens as an organization with or without him you know Aldrin just mentioned there you know Colin Kaepernick as the comparable was one play away from winning a Super Bowl well 
just to point out, was the Baltimore Ravens that won that Super Bowl, this this struggling franchise. They're always there or thereabouts. And Phil actually does make a good point. I mean, the thought that John Harbaugh was on the hot seat, and and there were very strong rumours and whispers that he was going to go. I mean, for me, that is... I mean, just utter nonsense. The the kind of nonsense I thought when Andy Reid left Philadelphia. You know, it's like, my God, I mean, Marvin Lewis was employed by the Cincinnati Bengals for all those years um, and wasn't a patch on, on, you know, an Andy Reid, certainly not a patch on a John Harbaugh for me either. Um, they're coaches who I think ultimately would find a way, would find a blend of players to to be to be competitive. But um, But another really good point. So two... Um, lengthy debates sparked by the teams you mentioned. So, uh, PB, are you up for making it three out of three? I am. I'll shorten it up. Three words. Las Vegas Raiders. I think they're absolutely win now. Um, And is it coach or quarterback? That's the thing. You know, handing John Gruden... John Gruden? I've got the, I'm, I'm getting my brothers mixed up now. Jesus, I'm throwing myself off. Having John Gruden on a 10-year, you know, mega bucks contract, you kind of think it's not going to be him. You know, the, the Davis family love him. Uh, he's a massive part of that that organisation, you know, not just as a coach. So it, I, I don't think they need to win now for Gruden. Um, but for, for Derek Carr, I think he's definitely win now. You know, the, the last two years, there's been rumours that, they were potentially going to look for another quarterback. They were going to shop him. You know, were they going to go after Brady instead of Carr? Were they going to try and get Garoppolo or a quarterback in the draft? Were they going to try and get somebody else? You know, I, I don't know whether they're really sold on him being a guy who can who can win for them. So I think they need to win this season, you know, to make that happen. And off the field as well, you know, they, they've just moved to Las Vegas, this brand new, amazing stadium. You know, they've got a DJ booth and a nightclub in, in one of the end zones. You know, it's, it's going to be the hot place to be now that fans can actually go back to, to stadiums and, and, you know, people are going to go to Vegas and especially do this to take in a game. But I think if you've got a team that sucks, that, you know, it's going to quickly become a ticket that is not going to sell very well. You know, no one's going to want to go and support a team who, you know, are getting pumped every week, um, you know, and, and, and kind of not really enjoy it. So, it's yeah, it's a tricky one. I think they need to win for the off the field side of things as, as much as they do for the for the you know the the staff, the quarterback, and the coach themselves. But that then in itself makes some of their off season moves seem a little bit weird as well. You know, why would you get rid of a lot of your offensive line? You know, a, a, an upper upper echelon center. You know, why would you do that if you need to be a you know if you've got a team that's that's kind of harboring ambitions of of trying to win now. And I think if you look at that division, you've got the Chiefs, the Chargers and the Broncos, you know, you definitely put the Raiders above the Broncos. Um, but now that the Chargers have changed coach, I think with with uh, Justin Herbert in his second year and some of those pieces back from from injury for the Chargers, such as Derwin James, you know, I, I really think the Chargers are, are going to be good in that division. Um and certainly going to be up there. I don't think they'll beat the Chiefs. They'll topple the Chiefs, but they'll certainly be up there and making the playoffs. And that makes it even more of a bleaker picture for, for the Raiders. So, um, yeah, for me, I think they've got to go as as much as they can, you know, all in to, to try and win this season, because I think another season of missing the playoffs, I don't know what that says for Gruden, but I think it will certainly be curtains for, for Carr at the end of the season. Now, I'm, I'm half with you. And I'll tell you why I don't disagree 
that somebody in the Raiders organization needs the Raiders to win. I don't think it's Gruden. I think that guy's there to stay. Like you said, they love the guy. He's going to be there regardless. I don't even think it's Derek Carr because I think one way or the other, Derek Carr's out of town by the end of the year. I think the guy that needs the Raiders to win is Mike Mayock. And I think the big, the big thing that you called out there was the off-season moves. I think if you take a look at the, the draft from the last couple of years and the frankly bizarre and random selections that he makes, I don't think the moves that he has made are in alignment with what Gruden wants at all. And I think that is a big reason that there's maybe not the harmony there that there's not the success on the field. And I think ultimately, I, I think you make a really good point. I think they're in and around the Chargers and the Chiefs. Now, I do not think that they're going to make the playoffs, nor do I think they've really got a good shout at getting there, regardless of how well they perform. But I do think they need to turn in a better season than they have done the last couple of years. And I think they need to make a good fist of getting towards that purely because Mayock is, uh, I, I personally think Mayock's the guy that's on the hot seat in that organization because the moves he's made don't align with Gruden. And when that guy has been given a 10 year contract, if you're not making him happy, you're going to be on a really short leash. I think. So to follow up on your point, uh, Mayock may well be, but I think you'd struggle to find anyone to run that personnel side of things who'd agree with Gruden because Gruden doesn't work well with young players. You know, you look at his previous success with the Raiders. He was having success with, was it Rich Gannon at quarterback? A guy who was not only an older quarterback, but but largely a, a journeyman, certainly not a top-tier talent throughout his whole career. Um, and ultimately, Gruden, you know, you look at signings in years gone by. He took on Jordy Nelson at the end of his career when he, you know, I mean, it was a little unceremonious, but, but he goes out of Green Bay. And the problem, I think, is not a Mayock problem or a Gruden problem or a car problem it's a problem when you start looking at those other teams um we mentioned this very briefly on a previous podcast the problem is you look at what happened to teams like the Buffalo Bills being in a division with the New England Patriots you know for the best part of 15 years they have struggled to get into you know a position to find themselves in in the offseason you know playoff football because ultimately they were in a division with a superpower. Well, the Chiefs and Chargers have that opportunity to be a superpower. I also fear for the Broncos. I mean, that was a perfectly valid point. You know, these are storied, famed franchises who might all of a sudden be a decade away from success. You know, it, it could be that much of an issue. Because you're right, you know, they've given Gruden all that money. But Gruden stays, Gruden goes. I, I you know, what, what's the solution in Vegas? Unless they stumble upon a Mahomes or a Herbert, there's nothing wrong with Carr, but it's what's going on elsewhere. You know, they are being left behind, you know, if they're not careful. Um, like I say, Mayock with Gruden, I think anyone with Gruden probably doesn't fit entirely. I think they've got a roster that's unbalanced. I mentioned this um, last week, no, the week before with, with Kenyon Drake, you know, and how much money they're paying him. It, it seems disjointed. It seems desperate it seems um i don't know it, it just doesn't have that kind of steady hand and that kind of sensible um and measured approach that actually i think you know the baltimore ravens or the new orleans saints tend to have at the moment you know these these franchises i've just mentioned i trust 
because I trust their coaching staff and I trust the way those organizations are run. They might have given him a 10-year bajillion dollar contract, but I don't trust Gruden in the modern era. We talked about McCarthy not moving on and and you know um and, and him needing to embrace more modern approaches. Well, go and let the head coach who thought Jordy Nelson was going to be the answer at wide receiver gives you his opinion on on the NFL in in modern times. I just don't see it. I just don't see the Gruden experiment working out, whether it lasts another two years or another 10 years. And I just don't think there is enough talent on that roster now, even to think that next year or the year after they could compete with the Chiefs and, and Chargers, let alone this season. Um, that that could be more than a, a, a kind of win-now problem for the Raiders. I think it could be a real long-term issue for both them and the Broncos. Yeah, unsurprisingly, I'm in agreement with Aldrin and Rob and Phil on all of this. Um, I think we've everyone's seen that meme. I think it was a kid's maths test or something like that, where they've got full marks and the teacher's note says, you use the wrong formulas, but you got the right answer. This feels like the opposite of that, where the Raiders are using all of the right formulas to, ju- uh, to judge success and are coming to the wrong conclusion as to where the problem with it is. Um, Gruden did amazing things for the Raiders. He was incredibly successful in his first year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he will probably go down in history as the first coach to take two teams to the Super Bowl in the same season, based on some people's opinion of those 2002 Raiders. Um, But other than that, he's like, his success isn't really there, especially if we're talking in comparison to other play, uh, other coaches like John Harbour, who we were just talking about with the, with the Ravens, the Raiders organization. And this is mainly probably uh, Mark Davis following on from his dad will like John Gruden because they like John Gruden's attitude. John Gruden has a Raiders attitude and that's what they'll keep him around for. That's what they paid however many millions it was for 10 years for him to come and coach. But you're right in that his philosophy is going to be the problem with that team. I have, I think I've always been higher on Mike Mayock and his skill set than everybody else on this podcast. Cause primarily I really like Mike Mayock. I think he's really smart football mind who knows what he wants to do to build a team But yeah, that's in conflict with the head coach. And ultimately, if your head coach is that superstar kind of thing, that's going to be the one that loses. It's not going to be in kind of a situation like we saw with the Philadelphia Eagles when it was Howie Roseman versus Chip Kelly. And Chip Kelly managed to send Howie Roseman off to the the broom cupboard Mm -hmm. out of the way of everything and then completely tanked the Eagles. And they kind of went back to Howie and said, yeah, we were wrong sorry we'll get rid of him who would you like to bring in instead i think yeah if the raiders don't have a successful season mayock's probably gone gruden will stay to pick someone that will fit his philosophy of what they want to do i wouldn't be surprised if they moved on from from Derek carr because i think gruden will want to do that i don't necessarily think that's a good idea because i i like Carr. i think cars um an incredibly competent quarterback. And I, I don't mean that to necessarily sound as, as bad as it does. I think in a league where we have seen quarterbacks who are incredibly up and down in their performance, having someone as stable as Carr is, is a positive. You move on from him and again, what are they going to do? They're not going to bring clipboard Jesus out of retirement. They're not going to get Kyle Orton to come in and do anything. So where are they going to go? That there's 
there's so much to this, isn't there? I mean, some of it is just as simple as the quarterback is the most important position to fill on an NFL roster. And if you've got a great one, your chances of winning are an awful lot better than if you don't. Um, you know, for me, Carr is an absolutely average starter. And you look at, say, Ryan Tannehill at the Titans, and it shows you what those types of players can do in the right situation. But I just, the the longer into the future you look, the worse it gets for me with the Raiders. Imagine being a new head coach coming into that, starting again, so you bring in fresh players and fresh ideas, and you're in danger of getting absolutely hammered in four games a season by by the, the Chargers and Chiefs. I, I mean, it's really easy to talk about these things in the off-season when nobody's injured and... Form- but they really tanked as well, the tail end of last season. I mean, the, the way they finished last season was, was, I mean, just unreal. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you talk about John Gruden being in that Raiders image. That end to the season was not in that Raiders image. You know, that win at all costs, you know, down and dirty attitude that they have, that, that you know, that ability to go and battle in the trenches historically was just completely absent. I mean, it looked like the type of tail end to a season that costs a head coach their job. It, it, it absolutely looked like that. And I think, you know, the 10-year multi-million dollar contract might mean that Gruden's in a job this year. I, I'm maybe not as convinced as you guys that he survives indefinitely. Uh, I think there's a point where you maybe have to just just try something. But yeah, I mean, getting someone better than Carr would be ideal because there are other teams in the division who has someone better than Carr. You know, it, it, it's the simple the simple maths of that. Um, but credit where credit's due, Phil, you, you said a short one and we're, we're absolutely three for three on this. I think the Raiders are, um, well, it's a pity, isn't it? Raiders and the Broncos are, are really in danger of just being a complete irrelevance in that division if they're not careful, but a really, really good one. So I'll round out with mine then. Just a, and one, last one Sorry, Phil. Well, no, no, it's fine. But, you know, it kind of occurs to me, there's still talk and buzz about the Broncos going for Aaron Rodgers with well he he it's all the talk is that it sounds like he genuinely wants out of green bay and won't play for them again whether that happens or not we'll see but there's talk of the broncos i i don't know why there's not a little bit more talk about the the um raiders going for him to be honest i mean you know you could include Derek Carr as a bargaining chip you can you know use some of their draft picks and i think that instantly makes them a better team and you know, right up there with the Chargers and, and Rogers is the kind of quarterback that can drag a team through, you know, against the Chiefs. So for me, that's a smart play to try and go and get, but obviously it's not the direction they want to go in. It'd be a very smart play for a, a lot of teams. I mean, the only, I mean, it's a weird one. The, the only thing I'd throw out is that ultimately when you look at these true greats, and I'm, we're talking like, you know, some of the greatest players of all time here. So I, I certainly don't want to sound too critical. Um, Joe Montana at the Chiefs, Joe Namath going from the Jets to the Rams, although I'm going back a bit now. You know, only really Tom Brady has truly made that work. I mean, even Brett Favre, I mean, I know he was he was old when we're talking about his Jets and, and his Vikings tenure. But I mean, I think I think Rogers has a good chance. But just to say that going and getting an all-time great, it doesn't always translate well to that second franchise. And um I, I don't know, it always worries me 
when you've got a player saying, well, I might play or I might go and present Jeopardy or whatever on earth it is that, that bands about with Aaron Rodgers. There's an element where if I'm throwing draft capital after a quarterback, you know, and, and Rodgers is in that three first round pick bracket, isn't it? I mean, he, he's proper top tier talent. I just don't know. I think they need someone of that ilk. I think they need someone that good to, to all of a sudden look like a, a front runner or one of the leading franchises in that division. Yeah. As you um, mentioned, Brady, I don't know if you've seen the news that's come out tonight. He played the whole season with a torn MCL, partially torn MCL. Oh, no, that really limited his running. Well, exactly. Just think how scary we're going to be next year. Yeah, I can't wait for him doing that. When, when all your really old players are another year older because you retain them all. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, bear in mind, Phil, just uh, I know we're going down memory lane, but the guy ran a slower 40 than Vince Wilfork. So I don't think an MCL strain was ever going to hinder his movement ability. He didn't have it already. Yeah. The guy looked like he was doing a, a, a dad's school run in cargo shorts and like Nike classics. It was embarrassing that 40 yard dash way back when. And that was when he was a kid, <laughs> let alone a 40 plus year old man. I'm sure he's very embarrassed now with his millions of dollars and supermodel wife. Yeah. My point is the MCL strain hasn't hindered or dissuaded him from running the guy just stands there and throws dimes true greatest to ever do it so with the raiders and um somehow we looped the broncos into this struggling immensely um let me throw mine out there then and my win now um when i landed on this i've picked because it just makes no sense to me whatsoever Right, so this is the one that you guys can help me um, decode, right? My team, who seem to have forced themselves into a win-now situation completely unnecessarily, are the Tennessee Titans, a team that had suddenly got themselves to a point where they were perennially... perennially I'll have a third. Perennially. Perennially, yes. There you go, there you go, I can say it. Um, perennially competitive, Um nudging themselves into the playoff conversation year on year now for what the last two, three years, no reason to think they wouldn't be next year. And then we talked on a previous pod about the fact they went and spent big on Bud Dupree, right? So they move on from the failure that was Jadavian Clowney and they end up giving Dupree $16.5 million a year, a long-term contract that includes over $33 million in guarantees. So this isn't one of those easy-to-break, easy-to-move-on-from type large contracts that you sometimes see with teams. These are guys absolutely committing to a player who was, I mean, there's still that argument that we said a few weeks ago that he was made to look good by good pieces around him. But that isn't even the worst one. Julio Jones, right, a player who in the last two seasons has only been active for 40% of his team's snaps. Now, they traded for him. They inherited this contract, but I still don't think that makes it any smarter a decision. We'll go into next year the second best paid wide receiver in football. I mean, that for me is unnecessary to the point of just being irresponsible. I mean, I, I genuinely just, just cannot fathom what on earth they are thinking. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, you know, if we're talking about quarterbacks having a window, well, Tannehill doesn't play forever. He's, he's not the youngest quarterback in the league, but equally he's not as hard as, you know, some of these other quarterbacks we've been talking about to replace. 
I mean, if you think of the Baltimore Ravens having to replace their quarterback or the Kansas City Chiefs have to replace their quarterback, you know, those feel much bigger problems than finding somebody to take over from Ryan Tannehill. And I've really liked what he's done the last few seasons. I, I would be full of praise and compliments for the guy. But who on earth ties up, and, and let me say this, nearly 20% of your entire cap space with Julio Jones and Bud Dupree, and I'm not even talking short-term, long-term. I mean, this contract they've inherited with Julio Jones from the Falcons runs for this season and the following two. And although his, his earnings per year, I mean, it's going to be something like $20 million this year. It drops down over the next two years. Even so, we're talking about 32-year-old wide receiver who has not been able to stay on the field for the last two seasons. A guy who I think is probably two to three years away from his best football and they're paying him $22 million. It, I just, like I say, for me, I appreciate that they feel close. I appreciate they feel that maybe they're one more player or one more, you know, push away from finally getting themselves a Lombardi. But I mean, please, you know, there were players out there that you could take a swing on. A 32-year-old wide receiver like Julio Jones is not what you go and do. And Bud Dupree, I mean, he might work out and I might find myself looking incredibly stupid. But that alone says what on earth they're doing. The, the only thing I, I, I might kind of think, the only thing that makes any sense to me is that obviously I'm talking about the Ryan Tannehill window. Are they considering a Derrick Henry window? Do they look at him and think, well, maybe he's only got so many more years left? But even so, I mean... I think that the Tennessee Titans could be a couple of years away from obscurity and it's deals like this that put you there. It, it feels like the kind of deal you'd expect of a Cleveland Browns historically, not a team that had finally, and for the first time in such a long time, turned themselves into a relevant franchise with the opportunity to be consistent, well, consistent playoff performers year on year. I think 20% of your cap space on those two is, is like I say, irresponsible. So, yeah, I, I kind of see where you're coming from with all of this, Rob. And I think when your absolute superstar player is your running back, much like we were talking about with Lamar Jackson as the quarterback, you have, you have to look at the window that they have. You have to look at how much are they running him? What are they What are they kind of doing it? And to go back to another team that we have talked about this episode, what the Dallas Cowboys did with DeMarco Murray in the last year of his career with them, they essentially ran that guy into the ground, kind of ran the legs off him, and then didn't... Did he go at the Titans then, or did he go at the Eagles? I think I, he went there, yeah. So you have to look at any uh, running back and think, well, what's the window on this? I think the one thing you will say about Derek Henry in comparison to kind of almost every other running back there, there's no one quite like him in terms of kind of his size and everything like that. If William Perry was the refrigerator, Derek Henry's what the pantry he's, he's, he's massive. He's, he looks like a linebacker when you put him in comparison to other people. And there is a part of that size that will lead into him being a bit more durable because we've seen players bounce off him. He's got a lot of that, like Usain Bolt quality about him in that the size of him 
means he shouldn't be able to do the things that he can do. And yet he still does. So I, I am not necessarily as concerned with his durability as I would be with guys like Ezekiel Elliott or um, Saquon Barkley, who I've talked about on, on podcasts before. I kind of come down to this in the same way that I kind of came down on the Ravens as well. I don't necessarily think this is a must win now because people maybe are at the risk of losing their jobs or sweeping changes being made. I think it's more of a, you're in a win now because you have to show that you're continuing to progress and you're continuing to progress. If you don't, have you reached your ceiling? And to once again, have a call back to something else we've talked about. Rob, you yourself invoked the name of Cincinnati Bengals legend, Marvin Lewis. You know, how many seasons did Marvin Lewis take the Bengals to the playoffs and they lost in the first game? But how many times had the Bengals been to the playoffs before Marvin Lewis? Marvin Lewis had his pluses and his negatives and ultimately they found what his ceiling was and it was that and the Bengals were happy with that until they weren't happy with it. Are we looking in a situation where we have found maybe just currently, but we have found what Mike Vrabel's ceiling is with the Tennessee Titans. Can he get them this far and not take them further to the AFC championship game or even to the Super Bowl, much less win a Super Bowl. I would like to see them advance further to answer that question and to show they can go further. This is an organization on the right track, making the right choices and the right decisions. I think for me, I'm kind of with Rob's very, very first point is that they seem to put themselves in a win now mode when they didn't need to be, you know, I think if they re-sign Corey Davis and don't trade for Julio Jones, then that expectation level probably stays around about where it was last season, right? You know, they, they look to win the division. Um, they look to win a playoff game or two and then see what happens. But now suddenly adding Julio into the mix kind of elevates them because of his, um, I guess his aura that he brings as, you know, this incredible um, world beating receiver which I'm kind of with Rob is probably two or three years ago compared to what he is now. But yeah, I think he elevates that into feeling like they should go beyond when realistically, I don't think Julio Jones serves any more purpose than Corey Davis did. You know, I think AJ Brown is the number one receiver in that team. I think catches are going to be hard to come by because Derek Henry is going to be pounding the rock. Um, so I, I just don't see that he adds an awful lot. We, we said this the other week. I don't see that he adds enough for them to take them over the hump because I think ultimately he serves the purpose of a, albeit pretty good, wide receiver too, if he can be healthy enough to stay on the field. Um, again, though, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit on the fence in terms of what do we think we now in this kind of organisation is. It's kind of like the Ravens. You know, I think the expectation is they'll get to the playoffs, which I think they probably will do. You know, they're a really solid team and they run the ball well and all, you know, barring some ridiculous injuries. I do think they've probably marginally improved that team if Bud Dupree comes in and is even somewhat of the player that he was in um, Pittsburgh. 
I know that he was in a better unit, but ultimately I think he's a better option than Jadavian Clowney was. So if we put it in that context, I think he elevates them a little bit. But I, I, I don't see, again, with them, I don't see the... I think the win now element is they will win. I think they'll, you know, likely do very well, get to the playoffs and maybe fizzle out again. But again, there's only one team that's going to win the big one. And I don't think, I don't think the expectation level is there that they're going to go and win it all. Um, To your point, Rob, I think Tanner Hill is a diamond dozen quarterback. I think if you replaced him with Derek Carr, is there any Mark downturn? No. I think if you replace him with, you know, Sam Darnold or any of these other slightly maligned quarterbacks, is there a downturn in performance? Probably not. I mean, most quarterbacks can hand off to Derek Henry and watch him run 2,000 yards across the season. So, you know, they're not asking him to do a lot. I think they're a very good unit without any stellar individuals, I guess, apart from Derek Henry. I think um, that's kind of the strength of that organization is that it's, it's a real team unit, but yeah, I think, I think they'll win now in the sense of they'll win what they were expected to win. And I don't think they'll go beyond what people kind of expect. So I don't know that win now is maybe appropriate for them, but I do think they've heightened expectations on themselves by adding somebody like Julio and paying Bud Dupree a hell of a lot of money when realistically they'll probably do exactly what they did last year. So yeah, I think doing the same as they did last year would almost be a successful season for them. I think arguably you probably want to say that you want to go on better and at least make the divisional round. Uh, yeah, at least make the divisional round because they lost in the wild card um, this year. But, you know, let's not forget that they just won the division for the first time in 12 seasons. You know, they haven't won the division since 2008. They were, you know, I think they had three seconds in the last four years. But there was, a you know, a period around the middle 2010s where... They were the you know a bottom feeder in that division. They came fourth in 2014, fourth in 2015. So, you know, I think they're on the upturn. I made the point, you know, in, in our last podcast, I think I think it was the last one around Bud Dupree being overpaid and and potentially, you know, they, they might have buyer's remorse on that, but you never know. And he could come in and smash it and, and then take them to that next level. So um, I think they'll win now in the sense that they can't go backwards. I think if you look at that division, Jacksonville's not going to make the playoffs. Um uh, the Texans aren't definitely not going to make the playoffs. So you probably would think the Texans is two easy wins there, you'd say. The Jags, I'd expect them to get two wins there. So they're already at four. The games against the Colts, you know, it, it's going to depend how Carson Wentz fits in at the Colts. But I think the Titans are on for another, I would say are on for another division win. And then it just depends, you know, how they can game plan in the playoffs as to whether they can go at least one better than last year. But um I think even if I, I think if they were to miss the playoffs, then Vrabel could be in trouble. But if they deliver a season, you know, similar or on par with they did last year, then then I think they they're good. I think I don't think Tannehill's going anywhere. I think he's done a solid job for them at, at quarterback. You know, Mariota before him didn't pull up any trees. I can't remember them having you know their last great quarterback. And then, yeah, you're right, they need to capitalise on Derek Henry, but he's just had two great seasons, you know, shown no sign of, of slowing down. You know, he, he doesn't show a lot of wear, despite the fact they're, a, you know, a run-heavy team. But I guess at some point that is going to come. So, yeah, you, you want to make hay while the sun shines and, and capitalise while he is the, you know, arguably the best running back in the league. I'd just come back to the fact that I think 
they didn't have to do a lot to be a perennial um, playoff team. What they've done in trying to get over the hump this season is irresponsible for, for the medium term of that team. So let, let me just give you, I've, I've brought it up now. So Julio Jones has a three-year contract um, to see out with the Titans. He's currently 32 years old. So keep in mind, this contract takes him to 35. And, and just have a bit of a think about the last time you can remember a 35-year-old game-changing wide receiver in the NFL, right? I mean, Larry Fitzgerald as a Cardinals fan is probably the only one I can think of. But the contract value for those three years is 66 million dollars of that 66 million dollars now brace yourselves gentlemen 64 million dollars of that is guaranteed right so let, let's not play about here you know if he doesn't perform this season i mean are, are you really putting any hope on next season or the season after for that right there are 390 wide receivers in the nfl He's the second highest paid of the lot. He's the second best wide receiver on his team. And that's if he can get fit, which I'm not convinced he can. So, I mean, what I'm saying is in trying to get over him, if, if they'd have paid somebody, you know, and, and look, I mean, I'll, I'll give, give you some, some credit here, Phil, as a Bucks fan. If you're going out and getting Sue, you know, and you're signing Sue to a one-year deal and you pop in $11 million in his pocket to see if he can do something, you know, that for me is the kind of deal you push for if you think that maybe one or two players will get you over the hump. The, the problem I have here is they've they've signed players or traded for players in Joneses where they're committed to these players long term. When, you know, there's some young, you know, you talk about wide receiver, there's some good young talent there in that team. There's a good coach who I think coaches the football team well in Vrabel. I just think it's unnecessary. I just think it's, you know what, I, I get risk and reward, but it seems incredibly, I mean, what's the what's the best that they can expect? And and for me, the best they can expect is that they get to a Super Bowl this year or next with the players that we're talking about before they're over the hill, when actually there was no need for that. You know, there was the ability to remain relevant for a number of years and keep building based on this this kind of formula they've they've discovered um jb you make a reasonable point and and that's the point about with derrick henry you compare him to maybe like i think he's a much better player but you compare him to like a jerome bettis you know those bigger bodied running backs who tend to be able to to have those longer careers but still i, I just think you know what i would feel just as positive about the tennessee titans with a number of wide receivers filling that space that julio jones now fills and and the years ahead, I think, look bleak as a result of that deal. But there you go. I've, I've made my point now twice. I, I just think, yeah, I, I just think bad franchises make bad decisions, even when things are going well. And I, I still don't have the confidence that the Titans are a Ravens or a Saints or, or one of those franchises that seems to get these big decisions right. But gents, I mean, God, to think we've talked about four topics and are in danger of delivering our longest pod ever. We should have a week off more often. Look at look at the content we come back with. I can I can only imagine people staring at their um, generic fruit based devices or their uh, TV screens as they listen to this pod, thinking we have long reached and breached an hour. Um, but phenomenal work from you all as always. Amazing insight and opinion. Talk to you in seven days. Thanks, Rob. Stay safe. Thanks a lot.
to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends.